everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. I'm really excited about um, this morning. I am full of anticipation of what God is, not just what he's going to do today, but what God is building in us, what he's stirring in our community. Um, Our worship team did a phenomenal job this morning, and um, I, I found myself on the front row having to, you know, hold myself back because I believe that I look around us and when what I know of God, I know that he desires for each and every one of us to experience a level of joy and freedom and liveliness and just you know sometimes let me let me frame this way sometimes i think that we forget we can be there is a dynamic that here on this earth the christian walk is not just about your happiness it's not just about you being happy all the time with everything that happens to you and so, and that's true there is things as such as sacrifice there, there is a concept of hardship and pain in a fallen world. And yet, our original design and intent was just to be in joy and fellowship with God. Y'all hear me? You are actually designed to be in constant joy and pleasure of experiencing relationship with God. Like that, that was the original plan, the intent, the design. You were not made to carry shame. You were not made to endure pain. That was not why you were designed. You were designed to be in perfect connection and communion and fellowship with your creator. And though, as Kelly so beautifully articulated last week, We find ourselves in this in-between stasis and tension of experiencing reconciliation and redemption through Jesus and yet being in the in-between of bringing heaven to earth. I want you to know that there is a joy and a life and a power in God that you can experience now. We don't have to wait until the fullness until the fullness of time, until when Christ returns and makes all things. We don't have to wait to experience his presence right now. Now then, it's going to be off the charts. But we don't just have to look at this time period ahead of this and think, well, man, I need something now. Well, that's great. He's here now. And so over these next couple weeks, this week and next week, we're going to unpack this concept in this kind of mini-series I'm calling Presence and Power. And today, not next week, today, 
my desire is for you to experience his presence. Now, I know that there's things that hinder us from doing that, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, last week, um, Kelly, she did an incredible job of wrapping up a 13-week series that we did called Long Story Short. And uh, just shout out for Kelly. Can we give Kelly a hand? I know she's not here. She's going to listen to this later. I just want to recognize, give honor where honor is due. Now, my baby is not here this weekend. She's not here because this weekend she went on a special trip, her and my oldest son, Isaiah, who's 12. And uh, it was kind of a trip that she had planned because of him graduating from this current phase or stage in his educational journey. We are a part of a co-op, a homeschool co-op called Classical Conversations, and you have these phases, and one that we just finished is called Foundation. So we just finished that celebration, and so we kind of made this decision as we were talking about getting times with our kids to have this trip as she's been incredible as teaching them and training them that when they turn 12, they graduate from Foundations, they get an overnight trip with mom. So they went to Nashville. And uh, for those of you who don't know Nashville, Nashville is where I met my amazing wife. That's where uh, we connected and first met and got married. And we have a lot of great memories there. My wife, she played basketball and soccer at Lipscomb University. And so she planned this incredible time with just her and Isaiah. And I mean, Kelly was just, I, I love just seeing her heart and she was putting together everything. So the first thing that she did that was really cool is she put together these little gift bags that as they would get to different phases and markers in the trip, there'd be a riddle, and then Isaiah would read the riddle, and he would open up something that went along with it. So, like, the first thing that they did, uh, they opened this one while they were at home. She had a little riddle, and basically to tell them that the first part of our journey is deciding where to go for breakfast. So she let him pick. He went. He decided to go to Einstein Bagels. I think he was doing that because that's mom's favorite spot, and he was trying to get some extra brownie points. So that's okay. And uh, they went and got it to go, got in the car, and then started their journey. Then along the way, there was other benchmarks. One of the surprises that he was not aware of is that uh, on Friday, they left on Friday morning, is the first stop on the trip was to Kentucky Kingdom. So they went to Kentucky, which is an amusement park. It's basically like the... Kentucky cousin of Kings Island. And anything that you think around that is probably it. Uh, and But they had a blast. And, um, and then they went to Nashville. And then all day yesterday, Kelly took him on a tour around to our favorite spots. And she took him, she let him walk into, uh, he got a picture in her locker room, right by her locker where she was when she played basketball at Lipscomb. Went to the soccer fields, went to her dorm, went to, Kelly showed her the spot that we would hang out when we weren't really dating, but I was just trying to be like, hey, you're really awesome. Oh, you happen to be working at the RA table today? Uh, I had no idea. Um... And uh, so she took her there. She took, he, she took him to the church that we met each other. She took him to the church where we got married. And she took him to one of our favorite uh, little ice cream spots called Jenny's Ice Cream. So do we have that? Yeah, there's that picture right there. They're hanging out right by the soccer fields where Kelly played. And um, she went on uh, this journey. And then last night, her, his cousin, our niece Hattie, she had a musical. They went to support her. And then today they're having brunch. And then they'll be on their way home. But, you know, 
beyond all of the stuff that they did, which is really fun. And if you know my son Isaiah, you know he's all about experiences. He likes to think about, he likes to make things special for people. He is going to be an awesome husband because he's going to be super, super romantic. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. Every time, like when I'm starting to plan anniversaries or things, I'm not even going to lie. I'll bounce it off of Isaiah. Like, Isaiah, what do you think about this? What am I missing? Where are the holes in my plan? Because <laughs> he, he, just, he just thinks that way. Um, but beyond all of the stuff that they were going to do, beyond all the things that they were going to experience, the places that they were going to go, the most amazing treasure, the most amazing part of the trip was being together. For those of you who don't know, we have a bunch of kids. And in our house, there's a lot of activity that's going on. There's like, I mean, if you come over during breakfast time, it really does. It's like a, an organized thing. I get the plates out, bop, 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 throw some forks out, dot, 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 dot. I mean, everything is like eggs, 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 bacon, 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 biscuit, biscuit, biscuit. And then, I mean, we just, there's a lot going on. And with all the stuff that's going on, we can miss out on just the amazing greatness in each individual person because there's just so much going on. And so we've tried as much as we can, we've tried to create these intentional moments to spend one-on-one with them because we recognize that they are not just a mass, but they are a person. And there's something about when we just get one-on-one where we see parts of their heart that we don't see within the rest of the mix. Some of you know my son, Johnny. And a lot of times when people think of Johnny, they just think of, oh, what did Johnny do? Because Johnny is, he is intense, he is lively, he is an adventure. But I tell you, there's a part of Johnny that you don't know. Johnny is a little tender heart. And we did, a, we, we've been trying to do these individual little daddy dates and mommy dates. And I got Johnny and we just did him and I just hanging out together. And we went to the ninja zone and he got his energy out. And then I took him to Culver's. It wasn't anything fancy or another. We just sat down, had a burger, had some fries. He got a little ice cream scoop. And I just saw his little tender heart just come out. And he goes, Dad, can we do this again? Maybe we'll invite Mom. But I just got to see and really experience his presence because I was intentional. And I didn't let it get drowned out by everything else. You see, we do that at times with God, is that we fall under the assumption or the deception that just because we have an awareness that he is here, that we actually think we know him. Maybe you're here and you grew up in church or around church, and maybe just it rubbed you the wrong way, and you thought to yourself, uh, you know, I mean, I, I was in the room, or I was around God. I was around church. I tried that church thing, and it didn't work for me. And so you left because you thought that because God was in the room that you actually knew him. And so for you, it's like, oh, yeah, I did that, and it didn't work. Sometimes there's some of us who gave our lives to the Lord at one point in time, early on, maybe later on in life, whenever you did. And after a while, our relationship with God kind of became like that um, as seen on TV thing that we bought way too late at night when we shouldn't have bought anything. 
and we used it a couple times, and maybe it worked a couple times, but eventually we just put it on the shelf and it got dusty. And so we bought in, and we have God in our lives, but we're not really walking in the fullness of the power. It's just become another thing in our lives. It's collecting dust. And we get disillusioned and disappointed because in our brains we're telling ourselves, okay, if I have God in my life, then something should look different. But everything around me feels the same, and we assume that it's God's problem rather than considering our own heart and our own life. And and I want to affirm you and kind of encourage you for a second is the reason that you actually feel that way is because there's a part of you that should. What do I mean by that? Is if you are truly walking and experiencing the presence of God, something should be different about you. That's actually a righteous expectation. It's actually a great expectation for those who don't know God or in the world. One of the reasons they would want to meet somebody who knows God is because he's supposed to make you different. That's why it perplexes me while Christians, people who claim to know Jesus, are so concerned about looking normal. Normal is broken. Normal doesn't work. Normal is walking perpetually lorded over by your fears or keeping up with the Joneses or trying to compensate for the pain and shame that constantly drips in your veins. That's normal. I want to look different. I want to live different. I want you to know the only way that that will happen The only way that our lives will truly be different and that we will fully begin to walk in the power that God's called us to is if we will be committed and intentional about pursuing and hosting the presence of God. I want to say it this way. A life that boasts the power of God is activated by a life that hosts the presence of God. I'm going to say it again. A life that boasts the power of God is activated by a life that hosts the presence of God. Now, I'm going to read this first text, and this first text is going to be an overarching text that we're going to draw from for this week and next week. But I want us to catch something. If you have your Bible with you or your device, please open it to 2 Kings. We're going to begin in chapter 4. And I want to start in verse 8. I want to read this story about an encounter that a woman here, we don't know her name. We know she is identified really by the area in which she lives. And there's some descriptors that we receive. But she has an encounter with the man of God, a prophet by the name of Elisha. Now, one thing, one caveat I will give you about Elisha is Elisha was an apprentice, an apprentice to the previous prophet, Elijah. 
And so this is kind of in a period post-Elijah, when Elijah had ascended with God. God took him up in a great and an amazing uh, encounter. And here his apprentice, who has now taken on this mantle and received a double portion of his mantle, is walking in his ministry. And within this specific time frame, we see that God is intentionally displaying and demonstrating his power through the life of Elisha so that people would recognize that God's presence is actually with him. It says in verse 8, One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. She said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber, and he rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, he's talking to Gehazi, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? One thing to let you know, one of the things that they recognize is that this woman uh, from Shunem, she had a husband, but he was very old in age. And he's going to recognize here shortly that she does not have a son. And so one of the reasons that Elisha was saying this to her is, is really inquiring about her protection, that she not be taken advantage of. And, and wondering, well, do you need protection? Do you need safety? Do you need someone to care for you? She replies to him, I dwell among my own, my own people. What is she saying? She's saying, I've got family. I've got people that can support me. And he said, well, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he, and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. She said, no, my Lord, oh, man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived. She bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elijah had said to her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help me in our remaining moments to speak your truth with clarity and conviction. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do what I cannot do that you would go before me to each and every person in this room and that you would open their eyes. Holy Spirit, remove the blinders from their eyes. Open their ears to hear your truth. Open their hearts to receive your love. Open their minds, God, to believe that you are who you said you are. And Lord, help us to know you and show you greater, Lord. Help me. In Jesus' name, amen. So, There's a lot in that scripture, and a lot of it I'm going to unpack next week. And one of the overarching things that I see in this encounter is a principle that we get and we understand and we all appreciate. I'm just going to ask this question. I know the answer to it already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How many of you in here appreciate some great hospitality? By a show of hands. Come on, somebody. I just want to know real quick, how many of you would say that you have a gift of hospitality? Because I just want to know so I can be at your house for lunch. 
a Sunday near you. We love great hospitality, right? You just love, like you go to a restaurant that's got good hospitality. It doesn't even have to be a fancy restaurant. It could be Jesus Chicken, a.k.a. Chick-fil-A, right? You love good hospitality. I just think, you know, my son, I'll tell you right now, Aaron Ray Owens. My son Aaron, if you know Aaron, Aaron's going to be a great manager at Chick-fil-A one day. I'm just telling you, he's going to make sure things are right. I can't wait to see him a little tie, a little name tag. The hospitality is right. I remember the thing that blew my mind when I was grown, when I got grown. You know, when you're a kid, you're not paying for your own food. You're just happy to have it, and you're probably eating nuggets and macaroni and cheese anyway. But when you get grown and you actually, like, recognize certain things, I remember going to Chick-fil-A. I was like, the lettuce looks the same on the picture as it does in person. How did that work? You know, I remember going to Wendy's one time. There was a Wendy's in Tallahassee right across from TCC, and it was so bad, I had to intentionally request. Whenever I would order there, I would say, hey, I would like a junior bacon cheeseburger. Could I have it with the green lettuce and not the white? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You get that white lettuce, you're like, why did you put that on there? Why did you put that on there? Or they put, like, the heel of the tomato. You're like, man, I don't want to see the butt of the tomato. I don't want to eat that. I can't eat that. Right? You just, you love good hospitality. There's something about just having great service and being received with a smile. Especially, like, my thing is I can't stand bad service at a food service restaurant because I just think, if nothing else, you have the joy of knowing I got a job and a paycheck. There's a lot of people that would love to know that they got a job and a paycheck. So you got one, so do it with joy. Do all things with excellence as unto the Lord. Anyway, that's not even my message, but we're going to move on. But there's something about just having great hospitality. I love it when you go, like, whenever we have Kelly and I, you know, we, we, I, I married a woman that loved to eat. And, uh, and we, we love having anniversaries or date nights or everything. One of the exciting things is just going to a new place. And I love, like, if I really want to set off the date right, just finding a place with a reservation. Because there's just something about it, like, walking in, and especially if Kelly wasn't anticipating it. And just having that swag when we walk in, and I just say, yes, reservation for two, Owens. And Kelly's like, oh, he thought ahead. And I'm like, yes. Um, I just, just feel something about it. But when they anticipated it, and they got the place ready, and they got the table ready, and they recognize you, and they invite you, and you don't have to twist your neck for like 10 minutes to get your water filled. We like good hospitality, right? And there's something about that hospitality that really demonstrates the value that has been bestowed upon us. We, we gauge a lot of times our hospitality towards others based on how we see them. I remember when I was... Uh, Helping out with youth ministry and worship ministry at a church in Nashville. I was like 22 years old. And whenever we would host people, you could always tell, like, we, we knew where we needed to take people and where they needed to stay based on kind of like who they were. And so, you know, if we had a new, if we had this great speaker that was coming in, the bishop was coming into town, like you didn't just say, oh, I got an open couch, man, he can rest there, no problem. Now, if we had, like, a guy that was coming in to speak for the youth who was really a campus minister somewhere, and he was used to living with three guys and living off of ramen, he could sleep on the couch. Right, we weren't putting him up at the Ritz. We're like, homeboy, you just be glad that this couch hadn't been slept on by more than 50 people, okay? Just enjoy it. Or if we were going out to eat, 
like if we're if we're hosting somebody that was of that we viewed as a great esteem, we make sure we can't take him to Wendy's, right? Uh, we we, we want to take him to a place where they actually sit you down and you don't pay up at the cash register, but they come and they do all that. But if it was a campus ministry guy, we're like, you like pizza? We got some leftover pizza from the youth, youth event last night. It's over at the house. Bunch of Little Caesars pizza. And for those of you who know about Little Caesars pizza, they have like a five-minute expiration date when it's good. So if you don't eat it in that five minutes, just pray for it. <laughs> That's why they have all the dipping sauces, because they're like, that's useless. Flavor, flavor, flavor. Man, we are getting no sponsorships from Wendy's or Little Caesars. I just bless them all. Bless them all, Lord. We need a revival. Anyway, the point is, before I talk about next week, about hosting the presence, about all the things that we could do intentionally to build into our lives to host God and his presence in our lives and and the way that we do that in our community. What was stirring in me was what was said at the beginning of this passage where it says, one day Elisha went on to Shunem where the wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So she was already kind of serving him. She was already recognizing him. But then she says this, behold now, she says to her husband, behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and let us put there in for him a bed, a table, a chair, a lamp. Now, what was she saying? She wasn't saying, let's just let him have this corner. She, she recognized who he was. This is not just any old person. I recognize she had seen him continually coming by, continually walking in the anointing and the power of God, and there came a time where she recognized, I don't want him just to walk by. I want him to have a place to abide right here. And she didn't just go lazy and give him a little rusty old dingy couch, she said, no, 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 we're going to build something more permanent. Now, if you have any understanding of Middle Eastern architecture, one of the things that you will see, particularly in very condensed areas, is that rather than build out, they build up. And so she was intentionally building a permanent place above their lives, above their everyday lives, for the man of God to come and rest and fellowship. But first, before they built, before they made this place, she recognized. She had to see. And the thing that burdens me and that thing that burns in my heart is, and this is not shame, this is just truth and love, is that I can... As a minister, as a worshiper, as a worship leader, as someone, not, I don't say that to say I'm in this elevated state. It's just God has given me a burden. I actually ask God to break my heart for what breaks his. I actually say, God, help me to feel the ache and the heart and the, that you feel towards this city and towards your people. And what I see so often is I see a people that come to church services 
and they sit in the room and they sit through the songs and they might even occasionally raise their hands. But I can tell when someone is doing something because, you know, this is what we do versus I have seen Jesus. You host him differently when you've seen him. And I know it's not because people don't want to. Most people don't say, you know, I just really, I want to do this kind of Christian thing. I just don't really want to see him and experience him for the fullness. And, but I realize that there's certain things in our lives that hinder us from actually being able to see him, to recognize him for who he is. You if you find yourself in that camp and you have a hard time recognizing God, you're like, how do I even recognize you? He's saying, I, I, I talked to a guy and he said, man, I know that I, I've come to your church and I see that there are people who, man, they're really experiencing God and I want to experience him. I, I want to know him for myself. I want to see him the way they see him, but I just haven't yet. And I, I, I know that that's, that's a real thing. I've experienced that. Here we see in the Gospel of Luke that there were two people that followed Jesus, two disciples that were walk, walking along the road after Jesus had been crucified. They had walked with him and they'd seen miracles, and yet here they were in a situation where Jesus shows up and he's walking with them and they didn't recognize him. If you want to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 24, there's this encounter. I'm not going to read the whole thing right now. I want you to read it for yourself. I would encourage you to do that. Any scripture that I bring, I always encourage you. Don't take my word for it. Open up your own Bible. See what the Word of God says. See if Pastor John said something that ain't right. And you can email me. I don't mind. Let me know. I want to preach this Bible. But it says that on the road, there were two disciples on the road uh, of Emmaus. It said that very day, 13, chapter, verse 13 of chapter 24, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking to each other about all the things that had happened. Jesus had just been crucified. He had been buried. It says they were talking to each other. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went to them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They said to him, what is this conversation that you're, or he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still and they looked sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, well, what things? They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet and mighty indeed, a word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we'd hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yeah. Besides all this, it's now the third day since these things had happened. Moreover, some women in our company, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find the body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and they found that it was just as the women said, but him they did not see. So he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
So here are these men who walk with Jesus. They'd experienced Jesus. They had seen the miracles and they'd recognized that he is mighty indeed. And yet, they had even heard testimony of the women who had seen the resurrected Savior and seen that he was not in the tomb. And yet still walking forlorn and disappointed and downcast. And walking with Jesus in his presence and yet incapable of seeing him. I want to say that one of the chief reasons, and this is where I'm going to lean into this, is one of the main reasons I think that we have a hard time seeing Jesus or being recognizing his presence when we're there. I want to frame it this way. Our main problem is sneaky gods and blind worshipers. Everybody say sneaky gods. Very, very sneaky. What do I mean by sneaky gods? We had a meal with a friend of ours uh, recently, and she's from India, and her mother's a minister in India. And one of the things that she was reminding us, if you're not familiar with the Indian culture, in India it is a very, um, India is full of recognized idols. It's a very polytheistic culture. So they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gods, little g, gods and deities that they pray to and they worship. And so many times, they don't even have a problem recognizing a god of the Jews. He's just another one for them. And so it's very, very idol rich. And they have all, I mean, you'll see people with all of these statues and they have multiple things that they serve. And we would look at this culture and we'd say, man, it's just like they just believe in hundreds and hundreds of idols. And you know, how do you help them to understand, you know, that God is the God of all gods, that he is the one true living God. And we think that we've got it, an advantage or an edge because maybe we live in a country that is primarily, you know, a Christian nation. But what we don't realize is we actually, I believe, are even at a greater disadvantage because we are just as much as an idolaters in our nation, but our gods are sneaky. They found a way to hide themselves from us. See, we've got tons of idols. All of you right now have an idol that you've probably looked at a few times during this message. Check it. Wait. That was the score last night? Okay. I really needed that for my life. We, we have an idol that can be an idol that we have to make sure is deposited into our bank account that's transferred in the right way. Sometimes our idol looks like food. We go to that idol. We surrender our bodies to that idol. We choose to call our other idols to surrender to that one. Sometimes our, it's, it's the flip side. Maybe, maybe your idol is not food and gluttony and overeating. Maybe your idol is actually like working out. Now, all these things like in moderation submitted to God are fine, but even working out and making this thing where it's like I have to look this way. 
Because if I don't look this way, I don't feel happy and I don't feel loved and I don't feel valued and I don't feel of worth. And so you will work out over above and all other things. Sometimes our idol is the person that's sitting next to us. Parents, do you know your children can be an idol? We should love our children, care for our children, nurture our children. We should never worship them. It's so quiet. It's okay. It's all right. For some kids, their parents are their idol. They can do no wrong. And then when they get older and they realize that they're actually not perfect, their world gets shaken because this whole time they didn't realize that, oh, you're a broken human too. And sometimes as parents, we like to think, we want our kids to think that we're an idol. And so we don't allow ourselves to be vulnerable or humble before them and create this false image. And we create this image of God that is not true because we make them think that the way that you experience God is being perfect because we don't let them see our brokenness. And then when they follow Jesus and they feel broken, they think, man, I don't know, I don't have what my parents had. Until they get old enough, I'm not going to go there. Our idols are all around. And many times we do not see God, even though he's right in front of us. is because we have so many idols that have filled our space. We cannot recognize him for who he is. We've magnified these things in our lives. And even if we've invited him in, we didn't push anything else out. God is a jealous God. What does that mean? He says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. He wants you to experience him as God. He wants to be your ultimate source. He wants to be the source of healing and joy and love and affirmation and freedom. He doesn't want to just be an opiate to numb your pain. He wants to heal the thing that's pained you. And there's a phrase that some of you maybe heard before. It says, you know, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Is that God does not play well with other gods. Because he understands that the other things in our lives that are false, that are temporary, those things will, over time, they will kill us. And he loves us, and he wants us to walk in freedom and joy. And so the only way we can truly see him and experience him for who he is is when we cast down and we repent of those other things. When we recognize who he is and who we've been worshiping, and we cast those things down. See, God, there's some of you in here, you've been walking with God, you've experienced him before. You've actually had rich experiences and encounters with him. And unfortunately, the exciting, the things that excite you and leap in your heart when you've encountered God, the things that you think, oh gosh, that was so great. Oh, I remember that. Why is it always in the past? Why is it that your greatest days always seem to be memories of what happened? 
Well, a lot of times because, like, I'm just going to I know we've got some people, a lot of people in here, you're, you're between the ages of 20 and 30. And so you're getting started on the journey. So some of this for you is going to be some, um, it's going to be like, you know, pre-work, preventative maintenance. But I also know that there's some saints in here that you've experienced some things when you were single, when you were just living with a bunch of dudes that were crazy and on fire for God and living off of Cheerios and ramen, and you could pray all night and all day, and then all of a sudden, things change, change in a beautiful way. You got married, and that was great, and you're experiencing fellowship, new dimensions. But now there's other things that start creeping up, like how am I going to take care of this family? I got to work. Maybe both of you are working. You're trying to figure out now before all you had to think about was yourself. Now you're thinking about how do I, you know, how do I have my quiet time if this is when he wants to connect or this is when she wants to connect. Then you start working. You get home and you, your, your extra time that you have isn't the same. And all of a sudden you start allowing things to squeeze out God. You magnify all of these other things and you are become numb. Or all of a sudden, like Jim Gaffigan says, he says, if you want to know what it's like to have five children, picture yourself drowning, and then somebody hands you a baby. You know, you start having kids and things. Now, I know you say, golly, Pastor John, like, man, why are you, like, I was, I was all about having, getting married and having kids until you started talking. Now I feel so scared. It's not about that. My point is, is the older we get, the more stuff comes up in our lives and the more we feel this sense to prop up and we start negotiating why we need to have the idols we have. Well, I need this thing. God, I know you want to come over and I know you want to abide with me and I know you want me to experience your presence, but I can't, you can't ask me to say no to that. You can't ask me to give that up. It's been with me for so long. We've become dependent on these things, even good things. That's even the most deceptive. You can make an idol out of Christian duty. Where you think just because you've done all the things that you know him. Yet the scripture tells us that there will be people who said, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name. And we did this in your name. And yet he says, no, you didn't know me. Because we made an idol out of religious tradition instead of fellowship with God. I could go on this all day. I'm not going to. Here's my whole point. Is that what Jesus did is he began to break down for them. You see, he began to unpack who he was, and the reality that he actually showed up exactly how he said he would. See, part of why we don't see God is because he didn't show up the way we thought he should show up. He didn't give us what we wanted, so we we're like, that must not be it. And so he started to unpack for them in Scripture. He began, it says, he began with the prophets. He, from the prophets, he began to unpack. This is what was said. This is what, this is the prophecy. This was fulfilled. Just like we did over the last 13 weeks, a long story short, each time looking at how from Genesis to Revelation, the story is revealing who Jesus is and what he's going to do. But it says in this moment, I'm going to ask the band to come on up. It says, 
in verse 28 in Luke 24. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards, it's towards evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. This is what it says in verse 31, and this is what I'm praying this morning. It says, and their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. He vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? They couldn't see him. Like us, at times we can't see God because of the things that we've allowed to, that we've magnified and that we've made great in our lives. Maybe the term idol seems abrasive for you. Just think, you could even think like, what are the things that you have magnified in your eyes in such a way where they seem so great and God seems so small? Is it your disappointment? Have you been disappointed? in life? Have you been disappointed by people in the church? Have you been disappointed by how things ended up in your relationships? And because of it, it's so hard for you to trust this God. It's so hard for you to surrender. It's so hard for you to be vulnerable and admit that you actually need a Savior. And it was not Jesus berating them and yelling at them but him simply unpacking who he was and how he fulfilled it. And I love that it says as he began, as he broke the bread. You see, these men would be familiar with the final, the Last Supper. They knew that he said he would be broken for their sake. And it was in this moment of revelation where they finally recognized what he did, who he was, where they realize this is him. This is the Savior. This is the Son of God. This is the risen King. My prayer, my challenge this morning is that we need to pause and reflect and behold this king. Sometimes in the busyness of life, we're like, man, we got to do this, and I got to have that, and I've got to have this, and I can't stop. We forget. We, we, we aren't magnifying him. We've magnified every other thing except for him, and we can't see him. We want to take time this morning and pause. We're going to take communion in a moment. We're going to worship, but I want to challenge us. Allow the Holy Spirit to remind you of who he is, to remind you that he actually has been on this road with you. You think you showed up here because you just did a random Google search. You think you showed up here because you just saw this on the website or that on the website or this friend nudged you or that friend nudged you. 
because you saw the flags when you were walking by or coming to the gym. God has been walking with you to lead you to a place to see him. To realize it's his hand that has protected you this far. It's his good graciousness and his mercy that has brought you to this seat on this day to hear that he loves you, that he's wanting to restore you and free you and allow you to walk in the power that you so desperately needed as a child but weren't given. He doesn't want you to just have a religious echo of freedom. He wants you to experience it this morning. So as we worship and as we take communion, I want to invite you to invite God. Allow him to come to your table. Allow him to come into your disappointment, into your doubt. Allow him to reveal what he has done for you. And receive him. Receive him. Receive him as Lord. Receive him as rescuer. Receive him as king. Receive him and all that comes with him. Let's pray. Father, I ask you this morning, Lord, in this atmosphere, Lord, that you would open eyes, that you would open hearts, that you would help us to see who you are. God, I'm asking that you would cut through years of disillusionment and that you would open us up to your goodness, that you would remind us of your faithfulness, that you would be magnified in our hearts. And Lord, that you'd give us the grace and humility to repent of our idolatry, to repent of the things that we have trusted in and put all of our hope in and built our lives around. Lord, that you would help us, God, to magnify you, to see you, and to invite you into our home. That we would not be content with just you passing by or us occasionally experiencing you on the weekend. But Lord, that we would be hungry to invite you in our lives, every day of our lives. Help us this morning as we receive this communion, as we receive what you, and we remember what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.